morning, everyone. Um, i got to be honest, I'm a little bit nervous. This is actually my first time speaking in this post-COVID, current COVID era, because once all of this happened, um, people stopped inviting me and people stopped meeting. This is the largest group of people I've been with since, I don't know, 14 months ago, or however long it's been since this whole COVID thing happened. So um, I know you guys do it every day, but, but this, is, this feels weird for me. So uh, bear with me if I'm um, like suddenly go running out because I'm afraid that I'm going to catch a disease from you or something. Um, I want to start with just an opening little question, kind of reflection for you to think about. So um, as she mentioned in the introduction, I work with homeless youth for a living. So, so youth experiencing homelessness right here in our community. Um, so I want you to ask, just kind of reflect amongst yourself. Don't raise your hand or anything. Um, how many of you have a relationship with, know someone who is um, kind of connected with a young person your age who is currently experiencing homelessness? just want you to think about that. Do you know someone? Um, I'm making some assumptions that you, you don't, um, uh, but my assumptions might be wrong, so that's, that's fine. Um, but the bigger question is, is why not? And that's the question that we're going to be wrestling with um, throughout the morning today. Why do you not have deep relationship, friendship, connection with somebody your age who is experiencing homelessness? So in our work um, here in Chaska, every year we see um, about 300 different young people from this community who are in crisis. Um, about half of those are homeless at the time that they, they engage with us. So 300. Um, I mean, I don't know how many teenagers live in this community, but it's, it's not that many. Um, and so the question is, why do you not have, if you don't, um, why do you not have deep relationship with those youth who are in this community who are in crisis? Um, currently, we have 12 teenagers, um, or young adults, young 20-somethings, who are living in a hotel um, in Chaska or Chanhassen because they had nowhere else to go. They were living in their cars. Their, either their parents kicked them out. Um, they were some sleeping outside, um, and they came to us for help. Um, and now we're helping them with a place to stay in the hotel while they wait for permanent housing. 12. Um, again, my assumption is you probably don't know any of them. And the question is, why not? Currently, we have about 22, um, again, kind of late teenagers, 18 to 19-year-olds, or young 20-somethings that are living in apartments where we're helping support them with their rent, with some case management, with some um, kind of doing some work with them to help them improve their employment, improve their, their housing stability. And um, 22 young people living in apartments that, um, you know, are just scattered throughout this community. And again, the question is, do you know them? And if not, why not? So that why not is the big question that we're going to, to wrestle with. Um, what is it that is standing in the way of you having a relationship with somebody who is in crisis? Experiencing homelessness, all sorts of, of those kinds of things. So, so hang on to that thought as we kind of dive into the, the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Um, I'm assuming this is a, a Christian high school, so you guys are probably familiar with the story, but the story that we're going to be looking at is in Acts chapter 10, um, which is the story of Peter and Cornelius. Um, 
So kind of background to the story, um, Caesarea is a, is a city in Judea. It was built to be kind of the, the place where the Roman soldiers would, would be centered out of as they kind of ruled over this, this colony of Israel, Judea, okay? Um, and so there, it's heavily populated with Roman soldiers. Um, it's kind of a, a seat of, of imperial power. And so in this, this city um, is this man named Cornelius, who is a God-fearing man. He is somebody who is intrigued by um, the, um, the, the God of Israel, um, but he hasn't converted to, to Judaism because there are a whole host of things that you have to do in order to convert. Um, but, but the empire was sort of populated with some of these, these folks who are interested, intrigued with, with, with the relationship with God, but, but haven't like, um, taken the step to, to convert. And so he's, he's, he gives to the poor, he's, he's prayerful, he um, is moral, he's, he's doing like what you can do to follow God, right? Um, so he's praying one day, and all of a sudden an angel appears before him and says, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers, um, send for this man named Peter, and he's going to tell you everything that you need to know. So Cornelius is kind of scared, afraid, whatever. Like he's um, kind of blown away by this this thing. But he says, "Okay, I'll, I'll do what you say." So he he um, the, he obeys the angel. Um, Joppa is a city that's about thirty miles away, so it's going to take another day for for his men to to get there. But he he sends his men right away. Well, the next day uh, before they arrive. Peter. Um, I don't think he needs an introduction. Um, one of Jesus' disciples. Um, he's now one of the leaders of this early church that's trying to figure out its, its way in this, this post-Easter, post-resurrection um, time period. Um, so J Peter is um, staying with this, this man named Simon, and he is up on the roof praying, as he would often do. And as he's praying, there he has this vision. He goes into kind of this, this vision state, and the Holy Spirit shows him this picture of um, like a, a, a tarp or a blanket or a, um, something that's, that's filled with all of these animals that are, are considered unclean, things that a good Jewish person is not going to eat, is not going to touch, um, because if you eat them or touch them, you become unclean. And that's important because those are the things that help define who's in and who's out. So, so as this early Christian church is, is developing, they're still essentially kind of a subset of Judaism at this point. They're like the Jesus followers of the Jewish church, right? And so, so this, this, these laws, these, these rules, the um, this is what you eat, this is what you don't eat, this is what you touch, this is what you don't touch, this is who you touch, this is who you don't touch, who's in, who's out. These are defining identity characteristics that at this point in the, the church define who is a follower of God and who is not. Who is welcome, who is not. Who's in, who's out. And God, in this, this miraculous way, says to Peter three separate times, eat these unclean animals. And essentially what he's saying is, cross these boundaries, cross these lines, do something that you're not allowed to do because God has said that all of these things are clean. There's nothing that you can eat that is going to make you unclean. So Peter's response is, no, <laughs> not going to do it. This is what it means to be a follower of God. I follow these rules. I follow these laws. I follow what you told us to do. I'm not going to change my mind because I, I had this weird dream. So let's pause here, here for a second, because I want to bring us back to this, this original question that I asked. 
who's in, who's out. Why do you have or not have a relationship with somebody who is experiencing homelessness? Okay, keep, keep that one in the front of your minds. And so we're going to deepen that question to what are the identity-forming principles, rules, practices, things that you hold, ways of being that may be creating barriers or boundaries that don't let some people in, that define who you are as in versus out. This is what it means to be a follower of God. This is what it doesn't mean. And creates for you an identity of who you are that keeps some people away. Okay, so keep thinking on that. What, those could be a lot of different things. And not, I'm not talking about like doctrines. I'm not talking about like our basic Christian belief systems, but I'm talking about things as simple as where you live, who your parents are friends with, basic economics, how much money does your family have or not have, things like class, things like race, even things like gender. We tend to populate and circulate and be with people who are like ourselves, and there's intense social pressure to make sure that we stay within our, our group, within the people that, that we are um, socially pressured to be. So I want you to think, what if, I'm assuming that many of you go to church, that's probably a fair assumption in this space, um, Many of you maybe go to a youth group at your church. What would happen if a 16, 17, 18-year-old who is homeless walked into your youth group? And you can tell they're homeless. Maybe they're dirty. Maybe they smell. Maybe they, they are, um, maybe you just know because you've, you've seen them around or whatever. Would they be welcome? I think they'd probably be treated politely. I, th I think churches are nice places for the most part, right? Um, I think our youth groups tend to be nice, sometimes clicky, sometimes not, I don't know. But I don't know your youth group, I don't know what it's like today. But, um, you know, most, I would assume, would be nice to that person. But would that person be able to fully engage, feel fully welcome, become part of the community of your youth group or your circle of friends while still remaining homeless, um, in crisis, all of these other things that, that define them? Take an honest look. What, how would you respond to that person that came in who is an outsider? Would you welcome them? Would you um, make space for them? Would you push down your assumptions and boundaries and walls that you hold to allow space for that person to enter in? Well, if the answer is no, you're, you're in good company because that was Peter's answer as well. Um, Peter's answer was, nope, not doing it. I am not willing to change these things that are core identity pieces of who I am, how I believe, how I follow God. But God is very clear. Um, this, he actually speaks to him again. The Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, um, what God has made clean, you must not call unclean or profane. What God has made clean, who are you to say is unclean or unwelcome? In other words, I know what you've been taught. I know what, what the people of God have said for millennia. But is that still okay? It's, it's not good enough anymore, is what the Holy Spirit was saying to, to Peter. 
So this vision happens three times, and Peter is um, puzzled. He's, he's confused. He doesn't know what to do with this. Um, he's like, so do I go eat a pork chop? Like, what am I supposed to do now? At that moment, Cornelius' men um, call from the, the front gate. Hey, we're looking for Peter. Um, an angel showed up and said that Peter is here, and we're supposed to take him to our master Cornelius. Um, so Peter comes down. They have a conversation. Um, and Peter does the very first mind-blowing thing. He opens the door and says, come in. He welcomes them into his space. So again, a good Jewish person, a Gentile is unwelcome, unclean. You're not supposed to touch them. You're not supposed to engage with them. You're certainly not supposed to welcome them into your space. Peter says, come in. He provides hospitality. He feeds them. He, he gives them a place to stay for the night. And so Peter um, agrees, okay, I'll, I'll go with you to talk to this, this soldier, Cornelius. So the next day they leave. Um, they they um, travel the 30 miles to Caesarea, and um, they, they get there, and when they, when they get there, they find that Cornelius has gathered up all of his family, all of his, his friends, his, his household, and they're all gathered, and they're just waiting for Peter. And so Peter shows up, and he says, okay, um, so, so why, why am I here? What, you, you summoned me. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what this is about. And Cornelius says, well, the angel said that you should come and, and tell us about, about following God. We, we want to follow God. And, and the angel you know, said that you should be here. And so, so next step, um, where Peter, you know, he's come into this household. He's not supposed to do that. Um, the good conservative religious folk of his, of his day who are following the rules and, and haven't had this encounter with the Holy Spirit are, are saying, are looking at him and saying, this is, this is un you're not allowed to do this. This is against the rules. But he does it anyway. He, he speaks. He, he says, um, he starts in, in verse 34. He says, I truly understand that God knows, or shows no partiality. I see it now. I'm starting to get it. That God has said that even you guys who, who we've said are unclean are not, are, you're, you're welcome now. So he goes through this whole sermon. I won't read it. This is like seven, a summary of like 70 verses. It's a, a big chapter in Acts. Um, but while he's speaking, while he's telling them about Jesus and the good news that can be found in Jesus, something crazy happens. The Holy Spirit comes down. These um, Gentile Roman soldiers and all the people there start speaking in tongues and they, they start having um, visions and like this, there's this whole like revival that breaks out in the middle of, of this guy's living room. And so, so Peter's blown away by this because we have suddenly another act of the Holy Spirit saying, keep on this path of doing something different. And so Peter says, well, if they're blessed by the Holy Spirit, they've been baptized by the Spirit, we... Like, who are we to say that they shouldn't be baptized with water and welcomed into God's kingdom? And so they baptize everybody, and, and suddenly now the church is not just Jewish believers, but Gentile believers as well. This huge barrier, this generations, millennia-long barrier of access to God and the people of God has been wiped out with this one act. So Cornelius asks them to stay. Peter stays for a couple days, teaches them, and goes back to Jerusalem, where, or back to, to Joppa, and then eventually um, talks with other leaders of the church where he has to explain himself because this is, um, 
was not something that was, was welcome. And then from then on in the book of Acts, much of the, the conversation is now about, okay, so now we've had this change. How do we figure out how to get along and, and function with these two completely separate worlds now colliding? And it makes for some, some deep conversation and, and rule changes and all sorts of things that happen as you go kind of forward in Acts. But I have a few thoughts that I want us to, to kind of dive into on this, this, this passage. So the first thing I want to think about is how hard God had to work to break Peter down to the point where he was willing to, to look at things differently. Four separate things had to happen. He, Cornelius had to have the vision. Peter had to have the vision. Peter had to have the Holy Spirit talk to him directly. And then the Holy Spirit had to, to kind of fall down on these people in such a visible way that, that nobody could deny that this was what, what God was doing. And so reflect on that. How hard is God going to have to work to convince you of any of these boundaries blocks things that are preventing you from engaging with people who you currently don't? How hard is God going to have to work? What is he going to have to do to show you that this is important? Second thing I want to think about is how do you respond when your boundaries or barriers are exposed? So for Peter, the initial response was no, 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 no. And then through this kind of repeated thing that God kept doing for him, the response became, okay, okay. And from then on, it was, um, you know, now there's this, this, this change that's happened. I want to tell a little story about some of our work at launch uh, because I think it, it, like, relates to this, this really well. So about um, four or five years ago, um, I was becoming increasingly frustrated with the work that we were doing. Um, and the frustration was I was looking at data and stats of, of what's, um, what we should be seeing related to who, who are normally the population of, of youth who experience homelessness um, versus what we were actually seeing, and particularly around race. Um, we were seeing about 90% of the youth that we were, were working with were white, and about 10% were youth of color. Um, Statewide, when you look at who, who's experiencing homelessness, who are the, the youth that are in this kind of crisis, um, it's, it's usually flipped. About 90% of the youth who are experiencing homelessness are youth of color, and about 10% are white. And so I became increasingly frustrated with the, the idea that there's something happening here that we're missing. There's some kind of a barrier or a boundary that is just endemic or inherent in the work that we're doing and the way that we're doing our work that is preventing youth of color to tr from trusting us, from engaging with us, from, from finding the support and the help that, that they need, and we need to figure out what it is. One of those things was our staff was all white. Um, another one of those things was that we only had English language um, services. Um, a third one of those things was we didn't have clarity around expectations. Um, what's going to happen when you come into the door? How are you going to be treated? Making sure that everybody is treated the same way. Um, longer, much longer journey. Um, there's a lot that we could talk about here. But one of the things that we find, found was we had to start making changes. So it began with, with personnel. Um, our... Um, 
white staff did not survive this transition. Um, currently, none of the white staff that were part of our team four years ago are working for launch um, because these changes were, were too deep and these barriers that, that are inherent in so many of us um, were too much for them to overcome. Um, our staff today is 50% is people of color, 50% um, white. Um, and as we began bringing leaders who are people of color into our space, um, we began seeing more and more how just our general ways of being, our general ways of working, our general ways of interacting were causing harm to the people that we were serving. And thereby then preventing the people who most needed to be in our space from actually engaging with us. Um, it's been a hard four years. It's been a long four years. There's been, a, again, a lot of casualties along the way, including most of our staff. Um, but today, um, we are seeing about 85% youth of color in our space and about 15% white. Um, and that doesn't mean that we're not serving the white kids that we were, were serving before. It means that um, our growth has been, been through the roof. We're, we're now welcoming in that, that missing 90% that didn't trust us before, that didn't believe that they could be safe interacting with us. So why does that matter to you guys? What I think it matters because we need a generation of Christian leaders who are willing to look in the mirror and say, there are things that we are doing wrong, whether it's related to race or class or all of these kinds of things, that some people are not welcome, and we need to figure out why, and we need to look deep inside to become a different kind of Christian leader. Third thought of, that I draw from this passage. Whose life changed more, Cornelius's or Peter's through this interaction? I think it's a good question. Um, Peter obviously had a, a big life change. Cornelius, you know, he was a follower of God and now he's a Christian. So obviously that's a big change. But when it comes to how he lives his everyday life, he was already living essentially a Christian life. Um, he just didn't know Jesus. Now he knows Jesus, which makes a big change. I don't, I'm not denying that, but he's still probably giving to the poor. He's still praying. He's still living a moral and upright life. Um, their, their gatherings are still God-centered. Now they're a little bit more Jesus-centered. But other than that, there's actually not a lot that, that changes for Cornelius. But for Peter, everything changes. Because now who he is has to shift. All of those things that are the markers of what does it mean to be a follower of God, even a follower of Jesus in this context, are now up in the air. And they have to rethink and revisit and, and, and dive back into what does it mean to be a faithful follower of Jesus in this moment when God has clearly led us to something different. One of the things I appreciate about Peter's response in, in this kind of new leading that, that God is, is taking him on is that he doesn't come to Cornelius with the um, superiority, maybe is the best word, with the attitude that says, I have something that you need, and God has brought me here to bless you with it. Um, 
he's not like that. He's, he's following God. He's, he's, I think, probably more confused than anything else and is kind of just figuring it out as he goes. But he doesn't come with this, this kind of superiority. And, and I think when I, when I think about, like, the way our, our homeless youth work works, um, there are often people that, that, you know, kind of a first baby step from this, like, I'm not engaged at all with homelessness and I didn't even know that was here. Um, kind of the next step is, like, pity. Oh, I want to help that poor homeless soul who is is experiencing such a hard life, and, and I feel so bad for them. And, and like, like, there's this kind of condescension. It's probably even a better word than superiority. There's a, a condescending that says, "You have had a rough go of it, and I just want to pat you on the back and give you a hug and, and give you a free toothbrush and some some snacks, and and it'll be all it'll be all better." Can I can I be honest for? A little second, a little bit transparent. Um, and I know there are people in this room have, who have come out and helped and supported us, and so um, take this for what I'm saying. Our youth don't need you. Now, we want you to support us. We want you to help. We want you to be part of engaging. But our youth don't need you to be their savior, to be their hero. They're figuring things out. They're hustling. They've, they've got um, resilience. They're enduring. So all of this talk that we're, we're having here about examining yourself, examining your boundaries, examining what it is that's keeping people out and keeping people in is really more about you. It's about who are you willing to welcome, what needs to change in you in order for you to do so, who are you willing to become in order for that to happen. And so really the, the question then becomes, as a Christian, are you an Acts 9 Christian or are you an Acts 11 Christian? Because this shift is that transformative in the growth and history of the church. The Acts 9 Christian is, well, this is the way we've always done things. We are still good Jewish followers of God. We believe the law. We follow the law. We do the things that God has always told us to do, and we continue to do them. And we have Jesus. And Jesus tells us that the, the law is still in force. He tells us that these are important. Jesus followed. This is what it means to be a Christian. And, and this is for the Jewish people, and then maybe some Gentiles who, who convert and are willing to follow our laws, but this is what it means to be a Christian. That's the Acts 9 Christian. The Acts 11 Christian says, whoa, what just happened? Everything that I knew, everything that I thought I knew, everything that I knew, thought I knew about myself just got shaken to the core. The Holy Spirit is now leading me to a whole different way of being Christian that shakes up all of those artificial pretend boundaries that, that were put up that kept some people out and ensured that we stayed in. The Acts 11 Christian battles against those inside things that, again, are not, we're not talking about you know, shaking core doctrines. We're not talking about, about 
any of the belief systems and structures that are important to what it means to be a Christian. What we're talking about is those external kinds of things that say, I'm keeping some people away. And there are ways that I live that keep some people away. And the X-11 Christian is willing to go deeper. Look inside themselves. Repent of those things. Are those things sin? I don't know. That's maybe between you and God. But repentance is, is all about turning away and saying, that's not the path that I'm going to be on anymore. I'm going to be on a different kind of path. Right? So let's go back to that, again, original question that we asked at the, the top of the hour. Um, do you know anyone? Are you in deep relationship with anyone your age who's experiencing homelessness in this community? Why? Why not? You know, we might not be able to fully answer that question today. Because that's a really question that you're going to wrestle with your whole life. Um, because it goes deeper than just that question. It goes to... Who do I allow into my life? Who do I not allow into my life? And maybe even deeper than that, who do I prevent from allowing into my life? But I really believe if you wrestle deeply with that question, it's the kind of question that can, where, where the Holy Spirit suddenly has space to lead you into a faith that is transformative and enriched beyond what you can even possibly imagine. So we have about five minutes left in chapel, and, and I thought that I would just close today, I'll, I'll close in prayer when we're, when we're done, um, but I, I thought maybe just a brief um, kind of engagement Q&A period, because I, I know there's, maybe questions about what we do with homeless youth, what, what, is, what does our programming look like? And so we probably have time for like two questions from you guys, um, just to kind of shout out, if, if there are thoughts that you have about our, our work, um, how you could potentially engage with our work as volunteers or as, as teams here. Um, I know this is kind of a weird setting since you're all spread apart and it's kind of a, a big group, but if, if anybody has a couple questions, we'd, we'd love to, to field that. Oh, go for it. Yeah, sorry. I can't see all of you very well, so. Yeah. So the question was, um, how do you do that? <laughs> like, how, how do you, like, because your motivation is, in a sense, like, compassion, right? So the question was, how do you get involved in something like serving the, the homeless without your motivation being, like, pity or, or condescension, right? Is that fair? Okay. Um, yeah, so I think that's, that's really at the, at the heart of all of this. How do you move from, from pity to compassion? Um, how do you move from um, condescension to, like, identifying with them in their struggle? Um, kind of the, the heart of Jesus and like, like Philippians, um, where, where it's, like, identifying with us in our, in our full humanity. How do, you, how do we do that? Um, the, 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 the tough answer is, is that's not easy. And, and I think... The, the, the way you do it is by messing up a lot of times. 
Um, because you, you, you're like, even asking the question, you're already like wrestling with, I don't want to be the kind of person that, that is condescending in my, in my way of helping. Um, but I also don't want to not help. Um, and so, so I th- it becomes like trial and error. So you, you engage. You, you, you help in, whether it's with us or with some other agency, or it doesn't even have to be around homelessness, it's uh, compassion or, or whatever, and you engage in that space. And you gauge how people are responding to you. You build relationship. As you build relationship, you build trust. As you build trust, you build openness to, to having conversation that's, that's maybe deeper than, than this is what I'm, I'm here for. Um, it, trust builds friendship. Like it, it becomes, it's just this overtime thing. Um, but then it's also the willingness to say, oh man, I didn't, I messed that up. Like it's, I, I came into the space, I had an idea of what this was going to be. I um, really harmed you by, by having that, that kind of attitude or, or, or thing. I'm sorry that I did that. Like it's, it's thinking in terms of um, th- this is maybe kind of a helpful, like it's something that we use with our staff all the time. So we, we talk about intent versus impact. Um, so, so intent is what did I, what did I mean? Um, impact is how was it received or how did it feel um, to, to the person? And I think there's nobody that's going to go into a space where they're trying to help with an intent of doing harm. Um, and this, this again, is across a, a whole range of spaces. Um, my intent is good. I, my intent is to help. My intent is, is compassion. Um, but if that intent is received as, um, the, if the impact of that is, wow, you just came across like an arrogant jerk. You came across condescending. You treated me like I wasn't fully human. Um, if, if you're in a space where that person has the capacity or the trust level to, to be able to voice that, the response is, I am so sorry that that was the impact that my words and my attitude had on you. I'm working on this, and I want to do better. It's not, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. It's, I did that, and I'm sorry. And so learning to, to identify intent and impact is, is I think, a huge space to, uh, to then be able to build trusting relationships in, in this kind of capacity. Got about 30 seconds left. Do we have time for one more? Otherwise, I can just close this in prayer. Totally. <laughs> so the first part of that, um, roughly 90% of, of youth that are experiencing homelessness are homeless because of conflict with their family. That conflict is a wide variety of reasons and deeper than we can have in negative five seconds, but, um, <laughs> but it's um, conflict with family. Um, the second part of your question was... Right, yeah, so how do you engage? Um, I mean, we have spaces to do that in this COVID world. It's, it's tricky. Um, but I, I think it's um, figuring out who your network is, wh- where your network is, and why your network is the way it is. Um, and, and, in, it, and then it's going to take intentionality, whether it's with an organization or whether it's, it's through your network of peers, finding I mean, because these folks are not hidden. I mean, they're, they're right here in our, our, our community. Um, it's that our networks are closed off to them. And so it's figuring out how to open your, your network, in, whether it's in your, within your church, whether it's within um, your, your friend group, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's figuring out ways to make those, those hard walls a little bit more um, permeating. 
Let me just close this in brief prayer and, and you'll be dismissed. Gracious God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this space. Thank you for these young leaders who are learning to, um, to follow you. And I pray that you would, um, by your spirit, empower them to, um, to take some of these challenges and, and work and grow and learn and follow your spirit wherever you lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage, www.swchs.org. Click on Student Life and Encounter. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, keep your eyes fixed, not on speakers, teachers, or institutions, but on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith.